Hi, this is Stuart Weems and welcome to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy to understand strategies, insights and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. And in this episode, I'd like to talk a little bit about the psychology of investing. You see, uh, last weekend, the Australian newspaper published one of my blogs, uh, a blog that I wrote last week about uh, the fact that I'm predicting that prices, property prices between, say, December 18, so now, and December 19, uh, won't change very much, certainly won't fall, I don't think, and there might even be some price appreciation over the next year. So that's not to say we're at the bottom of the market now, but um, I'm suggesting we're pretty close to it. And uh, you might have uh, seen my previous podcast uh, about that. Um, the interesting thing is that the Australian published the article and I received over 60 comments and none of them were either complimentary or agreeable to my prediction. And it really start, made me think about, I guess, a couple of observations in regards to negative gearing, the whole conversation around property prices and what we can learn from it. You see, I think most times we tell ourselves a story, a story that really validates or makes us feel better about past decisions. And then what we tend to do, um, mostly subconsciously, is look for evidence that supports that story that we're telling ourselves. And so I think there's two things that we can learn from this. The first one is that we need to be careful that we've got the propensity to tell ourselves the story and believe it. And so we, particularly when investing, and it applies to lots of things in life, but particularly with investing, uh, we need to, uh, I guess, one of my favourite uh, uh, sayings is to hold strong opinions loosely, which means have conviction about your opinions, but certainly be open to the fact that they could be wrong, you know, that there's other ways to do it, there's other ways to look at it. So, you know, if we're telling ourselves a story about um, certain investments or certain strategies that may or may not work or that we like or don't like, maybe it's because we're trying to validate a story which makes us feel better about past decisions. And since humans have the propensity to do this, I think we need to be aware of that and sometimes ask ourselves, you know, are we trying to see what we want to see or... You know, is there another way to look at it? The second thing is is to um, be really careful about who we're listening to. So, you know, if I'm um, someone that's been negative about the property market and for the last 20 years I've continually been negative and I've decided not to invest, and then if there's a whole bunch of noise about, you know, property uh, bubble or property prices are going to crash next year or are going to fall another 15 20% or whatever, then naturally... I'm going to adopt that story. That story makes me feel better about the fact that I haven't uh, invested. And in a, in a way, in my own mind, I'm going to sit there and say, see, that's why I didn't invest over the last 20 years, because I knew they were going to drop. Timing was a little off, but I knew it was going to happen. Conversely, if I'm a property investor and I hold a lot of my wealth in property, I'm going to probably disregard the story. I'm probably going to say, oh, look, it's short term, it's a long term that matters, and so forth. Now, it's not necessarily who's right or wrong, right? So, that you know, there's stories we tell ourselves and time will prove whether it's right or wrong. And maybe um, a lot of this noise is inconsequential anyway, so it shouldn't really influence your investment strategy. But I think the point is that the people that commented on my article, my guess is that most of them have never invested in property. Most of them have probably been negative about property for the last 20 or 30 years. And they're the sorts of people that would like to engage in these sorts of conversations and shoot the lights out on anyone that might be have a contrary view to theirs, you know, doesn't share their own view. And the interesting thing is, 
you know, I've been uh, in this business for the, the, the property and financial advice business for 17 years. I, over that time, I might have mentioned before, I've read one positive article about property, you know, now's a good time to buy sort of article. And it was, it was last year in 2017. But there has been um, certain commentators or economists and so forth that have been perpetually negative about property. Now, how can you be perpetually negative about one asset class? How can you always be a bad time or always be a risky time? You know, and ironically, once you get to learn a little bit more about these commentators, it's the ones that actually haven't invested in that asset class personally. You know, I don't think you need to invest in everything personally to have a true understanding uh, about what, what, how an asset class behaves, but I think it helps. You know, I think if you eat, eat your own cooking, if you invest in various asset classes, I think it really helps understanding that asset class and understanding the psychology behind it. So I, I invest in shares, I invest in property, I invest in bonds, I invest in commercial property. You know, I, I've got a, a broad base of, uh, of investments uh, and that's that's um, promoted me to understand those different investments. So if you've got an economist out there that might be continually negative about property because, you know, it gets him a little bit of airtime. The media love a, a negative story, so they're always going to run that rather than a positive one. Um, and they don't have any personal experience in the asset class then. You know, maybe we take uh, their predictions or commentary with a with a grain of salt. But I think it's really an important um, point just to be careful of the story we tell ourselves. And if I've invested in property um, and I put all my eggs in one basket, then it's unlikely I'm going to be telling myself a negative story about property. Um, some other comments or, I guess, observations from the experience of having these sorts of things critiqued. Well, the chorus is getting stronger. The chorus in regards to tight, tight credit and, and that credit is perhaps too tight um, is getting stronger from business leaders, economists, the RBA, the media. So I watch it all very closely. And there's more and more people uh, in the last couple of weeks uh, talked about the, the tightening in credit than has been over the last uh, six months or so. So, um, and that's including the RBA. Now, the RBA is independent. So some of the commentary was, well, Stuart, you know, the RBA is independent, has nothing to do with the government or the election. So um, uh, how do you think it's going to loosen? Well, actually, the the prudential regulator of the banks is APRA, and that is very much controlled by the government. And I, I think that um, um, uh, ScoMo won't want to really enter into election race in the with the backdrop of falling property prices. And he can um, influence uh, APRA's, uh, I guess, appetite for, for greater or, or, a, or a loosening in credit. So I think it's very possible that's the case. Uh, in the last two weeks, Bill Shorten has sort of started to back away a little bit from uh, negative gearing. So there was an article in the Financial Review. Um, I've got a link in the, in the show notes to this podcast. There's an article in the Financial Review a couple of weeks that Bill's saying that the implementation of negative gearing could be as late as mid-2020. Um, and so uh, previously all the rhetoric from the ALP has been, no, 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 that's the policy and we'll implement it as soon as possible. Um, now they're sort of saying, well, maybe not, maybe, maybe it won't be implemented straight away. And possibly what they're doing now is maybe it's won the votes or it's uh, created the atmosphere and um, and maybe particularly in light if the property market is still pretty patchy and soft 
uh, next year. I don't think it's going to be a strong market. I certainly think the market will be soft. Um, uh, maybe the, the ALP will start to back away from that policy. And in fact, even if they win the election, uh, there's nothing to say that in fact it will continue. Now, Bill Shorten hasn't said that, um, but he's, but the rhetoric, the, the communication has started to change over the last couple of weeks. Another interesting observation I'd like to make is that the cash flow cost, so the after-tax cost of holding a $650,000 investment property, for instance, at interest rates of 5% without negative gearing is less than if, the, if interest rates were at 7% with negative gearing. So that is, even if I didn't have gearing today, because of the low interest rates, it's still going to cost me less after tax than if I had the negative gearing at much higher interest rates. Now, the interesting point I draw from that conclusion is that everyone was, is getting very excited about the impact of negative gearing and that investors will just completely dry up from the market. But, you know, in the early 2000s, where people saying, oh, rates at 6.5%, they're going to go to 7%, investors will completely dry up because the cash flow impact is exactly the same. Now, of course, this is just more of a, a, a an observation than anything else than making a really salient um, point in regards to, to financial planning because, of course, negative gearing is... Uh, something that's a constant, uh, interest rates will change over a period of time. So if we had negative, if we didn't have negative gearing when interest rates were 7%, you know, the, that property is going to cost a whole lot more to hold. That's true. But if, if we believe the interest rates are going to be lower for the next period of time, and in fact, if we buy an investment property tomorrow and we can fix the rate for five years, and if we understand that properties don't, con- that the loss that properties makes reduces over time, and it's probably its most material in the first five to seven years, then it starts to um, get smaller and smaller, and after sort of 10 to 12, 13 years, the property starts to produce a positive cash flow, so its rent is more than its expenses. If we take that into account, there may be negative gearing or the, obli- uh, 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 the, the banning of negative gearing in the short run will have even lesser impact. But anyway, interesting observation I've included in the show notes, the calculations, that actually the cash flow cost of a property without negative gearing at current interest rates uh, is lower than uh, when we were at normalised interest rates with negative gearing. And my last point is really tax laws don't um, drive property markets. So uh, again, we're getting very excited about one component uh, that could be a, a minor influencer of a property market in the long run, uh, and we shouldn't get too excited. Supply and demand drives property prices, not tax legislation. Uh, less than 9% of Australian taxpayers uh, actually invest in and negatively gear into property. So uh, that means there's more than 91% of taxpayers, or we let's call them potential property purchases, that will be completely unaffected by these changes. So again, maybe it's a bit of a media storm. But the thing that's really going to drive uh, property prices is really supply and demand. So we've got to understand, will the change in negative gearing change the supply and demand? Well, supply is relatively fixed. I mean, it can change, but it's been relatively steady. We've got, we're probably in balance. We've probably got enough houses. Um, we, we don't have lots of houses in there vacant, and we don't have lots of people that are completely homeless. So I think from a supply side, you know, there's certainly a lot of media about we need to build more houses, and we've got to, and I'm sure that's true, and I'm sure that will happen. 
But from a supply side, it's okay. From a demand side, um, the big driver of demand is population growth, and that population growth is driven by overseas migration. And in Victoria and Queensland, interstate migration. Interstate migration is negative in New South Wales. Um, and so will those will that migration be changed or impacted because of negative gearing? No, unlikely. So therefore, the other thing we've got to think about is the, the distribution of infrastructure. So that's the problem with Australia. And when you make world comparisons, is that because we're such a big country and because we need such a, a major infrastructure investment, living, say, 8Ks from the city is a completely different situation than living, say, 30 or 35, 40Ks from the CBD in most of our capital cities. If you live 30 to 35, 40 k's from the CBD, you've got less um, amenities, you've got um, uh, you know, uh, hospitals and schools and things to choose from and so forth. So until that problem's solved, until we can make it just as um, enjoyable to live 30 k's away from the city as it is for 8 k's from the city, then there's always going to be that imbalance of supply and demand. That is those inner ring suburbs are always going to enjoy excessive demand and that's what really drives property growth. So really if we're really worried about housing affordability then the best thing we can do as a country is have a massive investment in infrastructure so that I can live 50 k's away from the CBD and I can get into work with only maybe a 15 minute travel time and with lots of amenities and it's just as nice as living there as it is nice and close to the city. But until that, change, until that changes, then that whole supply-demand equation doesn't change. They're the things that drive property prices. They're the fundamentally sound things. And they're always, they're perpetual. They're going to be there unless we have that massive infrastructure investment. And the, the key thing is that tax laws really don't drive markets. You know, markets will start to accommodate and start to understand that tax laws change. And then everything goes back to normal. So anyway, there's some interesting observations from... Uh, from from me writing that article and getting all that that feedback, and hopefully it provides some level of context for you to filter out all the noise that's going on at the moment. Certainly, seven thirty reporters had a three part series on property. The OECD um, released a report on Australian property and the impact on economy. So there's a lot of noise around it at the moment. Hopefully, that provides some context for filtering out some of that noise, uh, not only this time, but also in the future. And the last point that I would leave you with is that that's the reason why I wrote my book, Investopoly, is because um, we need to stick to sound fundamentals. Fundamentals don't change. Fundamentals will work in the long run. So my book outlines the eight golden rules, the eight fundamentals around building an investment strategy, implementing a, a good investment strategy, and those things will, will remain true and work in the long run. Uh, listening to the noise doesn't work. Anyway, that's it. Until next week, bye for now.